welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello, welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today's guest is Kayla Lyons, which we recently just connected on social media. And I'm super excited to have her on as a guest today because she is someone that's also a part of the sober community. And she has created a Instagram challenge and community challenge that is for people that are sober or sober curious. It's called a thousand hours dry. Maybe you've heard of it. If not, definitely go check it out after listening to this episode. And she's going to share with you her personal story and what led her into sobriety and more about that creation of a thousand hours dry. So Kayla, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to connect. Me too. I'm, I am always so surprised by how many people I like randomly find on social media through the sober world that don't live in. So I live in Minnesota. And so it's always interesting. There's, you know, that there's a lot of sober people out there, but it always feels like it's really hard to find them. And then all of a sudden, I feel like within this last year, I've been able to connect with so many different sober women and men all over the U.S., which has been so cool. And it's like such a great reminder of like, I'm not alone in this journey. And that to me is like so helpful and so empowering. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never been a huge social media fan, which is ironic because that's been like the backbone of my job for the last seven years. Uh, But that for me, what I've learned is like such a massive positive impact Um, for the sober community, because there's so many of us that don't do traditional sobriety or recovery. And there was really no way for us to connect before, you know, I was like, kind of joked, like, there's no gang sign, there's no like, you know, place we all go that we gather that, you know, you can meet other people. And so I I definitely think like the sober gram has been game changing for so many people and, and just allowing people to feel less isolated, allowing people to you know, have the confidence and the strength to actually get sober um, and even meet other people that that are actually like nearby. Like I've actually met a ton of in-person people, in-person people, obviously, um, that are like my actual friends now uh, that I never would have just probably ran into, you know, um, because I never leave the house right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's been one thing that I've been super grateful for is just the connections that I've been able to make with other people that are also pursuing a sober lifestyle and it is just like so cool to get to hear their stories connect even just have I've had random people reach out that I do know from like either college or high school and getting connected with them and like realizing like the power of showing up and sharing your story and that's one thing that I am really grateful for with social media is it does connect you to 
all these different people. And it's this reminder that when we can share our stories and our experiences, it can help someone else. And that's exactly what this podcast is for. It's to have people come on to share their stories so that hopefully people listening feel a little less alone in whatever it is they're going through. Yes, I love that. I think podcasts are such an important resource and tool because it's it's also kind of, you know, in a way it's like a meeting without the meeting, you know, getting to hear other people's stories, getting to kind of laugh and get to know people um, without having to, you know, go to an old church basement. And I only say this out of love because I actually, you know, I, the foundation of my sobriety is, is AA Alcoholics Anonymous. So, um, no offense ever met. I always, I always just joke, but it's not for everybody. And so I think, you know, what better way to get to know other people in recovery than hearing their stories that you can kind of pause, listen to, take notes, come back to bookmark, you know, and then reach out to also because we're all real people. So you can find us on the gram and you can DM us and, you know, uh, and talk to us. And, and I think that's really rad. Yeah. I would love to hear about your story kind of, and what led you into sobriety. For sure. Well, hmm. it's a, so I'm 29 now and I've been in recovery. Uh, I got sober at 23. And so I actually just celebrated five years in July. Amazing. And thank you. Um, it's been a long journey for me. Um, I've had many transfer addictions, so to speak. Like I've had many different behavioral issues and problems starting in like early adolescence. So it was not something for me that was uh, out of the realm of my behavior to be doing something bad for me. Um, and I, I want to say it was like 14 when I got drunk for the first time, like when I really, cause I, I, you know, had sips of alcohol here and there. I grew up, um, my dad's European. So having wine with dinner and stuff like that was really just part of the household and wasn't a big deal. Even if you were, you know, uh, not of age as the laws in Europe are different. And, um, so it, it didn't really, it wasn't really a thing for me until I would say, um, I moved around a lot as a kid because uh, my dad was in the state department. And so part of what I probably attribute to some of my, uh, you know, environmental factors is just not having a lot of stability, um, leaving places every two years, not really getting to know people, not really having a lot of deep connections and just always feeling like, all right, well, you know, in two years, I'm going to be in a different country than these people anyway. So there's really no point of going deeper than surface level connections. Um, and so around 14, you know, you're like in puberty, everything's fucking wrong. Uh, you're going through the motions. You're listening to Avril Lavigne. Like I'm taking you back to, it's complicated, right? Like I'm sitting on my floor and I'm, you know, going to hot topic and I'm going through the motions for sure. And that's kind of when, you know, I had a, a, a best friend, a girl who took me in because I was new to the school. I was always a new girl and um, she had a lot of money. And so she would throw parties and, you know, that's, that's kind of the age, right? Like you start to experiment and it's cool and it's the rite of passage. And for me, I knew from the very beginning, like I just drank differently. Like I, I had no interest in just having like 
a mixed drink or one beer. Like I was trying to get fucked up like every time, like I just really like being drunk. Like, and I never really understood the concept of like enjoying the glass of wine or, and not that at 14, really you do that anyways. Right. It's a lot of like shitty, disgusting plastic bottle (laughs) or like, you know, bad beer. So you're really not like drinking paps for the taste. Um, but yeah, I just, my, my relationship from the beginning was very toxic. And I, by the time I graduated high school I graduated early, I was, I was 17. Um, and when I went to college, I had already had like three underage drinking citations and I'd been suspended from high school. And I, like, I remember this one football game. Um, I, that the reason I got suspended, I blew like a 0.16 And that for me was like a normal, you know, Friday night. Like I just really was enjoying being completely disengaged from the world. And really what that was is like, I have very bad anxiety, like crippling. I get panic attacks. Um, Right now I'm kind of going through this like agoraphobic phase, which is why I said like, I don't leave the house because like, I'm kind of not joking. Like I I will, but um, part of it is I have OCD. I have some trauma I think we all do um but that's how I was really that was the first thing that allowed me to deal with it um or not even deal with it right it allowed me to numb it out so I even from a young age I had behavioral issues I I'm a very like sensitive person so like I don't like the way that certain things feel I don't like sheets because I I can wear certain fabrics like I'm you know that kind of a person Um, and then I had like stomach issues and I had all these things that I could never explain what was going on. Now, looking back, it was such a manifestation of anxiety, right? Like you can tell when you're older and you understand like, okay, that, that was anxiety coming up in a physiological form. But at the time I didn't know because it wasn't manifesting itself as like a panic attack until I got into high school. And then I actually, you know, started to experience anxiety as what, people think of as anxiety so before then I had no idea and then really drinking for me was like that was the only time that I wasn't super anxious I wasn't super in my head I wasn't overthinking Um, I also struggled with like eating disorders because I was uh, doing like lifestyle modeling and and commercials and stuff when I was younger so I was in a, a very toxic industry of like you need to look a certain way you need to lose weight you need to you know um be this certain person. So I had no sense of identity. Um, and I was just really, really lost from a really young age. Mm. Part of that was growing up overseas and coming back to the States and being in culture shock. And then another part of that was just, you know, my parents getting divorced at a young age and not getting to really get to know my dad. And, um, you know, then being thrown into like a very Southern environment in the United States, which was completely different than, the international experience I had had. So by the time I got to college, I was completely out of control. Like I was super into drugs. Like for me, I was really into benzos because I'd been prescribed those for my panic attacks. And anybody that's familiar, that's like Xanax, Valium. Um, And it's a drug you're supposed to be on for like a couple of months while they get you through like exposure therapy and things like that. And what was supposed to be like a two, three month period became like a five-year period for me. So I was doing, I was doing clonopin every day. 
And that's how I survived. And then I was drinking on top of that, which is like automatic blackout. So I had a good, probably two years of my college experience that I do not remember <laughs> most, if, if any, really. Um, I mean, I'll miss, I, I miss complete experiences. I miss people when people reach out to me now, like, I really don't know who you are. Like not to be offensive, like they'll send me pictures and I have zero recollection. And it's really scary to look back and think about all the crazy, stupid, risky shit that I was doing because I just had, I had no self-respect. I had no self-esteem. Um, and really the only thing I had to look forward to was like drinking and partying because I had, I'd finally found an identity and that identity was like being the party girl. And so I wrapped myself in that. Oh, I'm going to cut, I'm going to get you in front of the line at all the bars. I'm going to get you in for free. You know, you're not going to have to pay if, if a celebrity comes for, comes to the school for a concert, we get to, we're going to get to meet them. And that's who I was. And that's, I wrapped myself in that. And so there was no way that I was going to not drink because like everything or about my life from, I don't, maybe Monday was like the only day I didn't drink from Tuesday to, to Sunday. There was always an excuse to drink. I went to a huge like party football school. So, um, whether it was, you know, a football game, pre-gaming, there was Tots Tuesdays, which was a bar. There was Bingo Wednesdays, you know, where there's always an excuse. And if I didn't have an excuse, I made an excuse or I found an excuse. Um, and I also surrounded my, myself with other people. So I blended in and it's really easy to not see that you're having a problem when my best friend had four DUIs. You think that would be a red flag. It wasn't for me. Or I was in this anger management program because I was getting arrested all the time. And I was like the only college student in there. There was a bunch of other felons. Um, but I took it as a joke, you know, like I was like, this is funny, like that I'm in this, you know, program with this guy named Cheddar, like, you know, and, but I breezed right through it. And a lot of it was privileged because I was in a really small town in Virginia and I'm white and I'm a female. And so I was doing a lot of really gnarly fucked up shit and I was getting away with it with a slap on the wrist because of being white and being a woman. Um, and I don't know if that helped me or harmed me. I think it was honestly more harmful because it kept me going because I had no consequences. I was burning relationships. I was hurting people I loved. I was getting in trouble with school. I was getting in trouble with the cops. Um, and then finally, what should have been my rock bottom, but was kind of what I like to think of like the first step towards my like my sober lifestyle was getting in a massive fight and getting... 5150, which for anybody who doesn't know, it means you are uh, put in, you're hospitalized and you are beyond your will. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. Um, and that was obviously not fun. And, uh, you know, my boyfriend at the time had given me an ultimatum because uh, he should have left me long ago, but hadn't. And he said, you know, you need to go to rehab or I'm going to leave you. And um, so I said, all right, I'll do it. And I was like, so I was such a fucking shitty person. But <laughs> when I think about like how, how the, just like the addict or the alcoholic or, you know, however you identify how our brains work, it's so funny because at the time, like, I'm literally like, I have this track record. I'm literally not even in school that semester because I had like burned my grades to the ground when I was planning on being a plastic surgeon, like who the fuck did I think I was and what had I done with myself? Um, I'm like, oh yeah, this will be easy. Like I get to go to the rehab that I want 
because a it's either rehab or three months in jail and I'm like fuck you I'm not going to jail like that that ew um and so I'm like obviously I'll just go to rehab I'll go to any rehab I want that's what they said so I was like where'd Britney Spears go (laughs) and then I went there literally that's what I thought because I took it so like I just was so (laughs) unserious about it and I was like this will be a nice break I know I have a problem like I I was internally suffering so much. Like I was a big self-harmer. I don't want to like, I I guess trigger warning, but like I was very like just very like, I guess probably a very borderline personality disorder at the time. Like super big into self-harm. I had a lot of suicidal ideations. Like I really don't think that I cared what had happened to me. And there were instances where I definitely should have died but Mm. didn't um and so somehow I was you know still living and so I kind of took it as a joke and I went to treatment and you know I'm showing up in like a fucking tracksuit and I'm like this will be fucking easy I haven't drank for a month because for me luckily I had not been alcohol dependent it was more of you know the binge drinking and the, the heavy drinking but uh you know my dumbass had been you know taking prescription medications and doctor shopping and and mis- misusing drugs for the past five years. So when I show up and I'm like, oh, well, here are my medications. They're like, you can't have those in here. And I was like, what do you mean? I am prescribed these by a doctor. So yes, I can take them. And they're like, no, you can't. And I had a fucking meltdown because I knew what it was like. And anybody who's been addicted to drugs knows what it's like if you don't take your meds for a couple of days or if you don't drink for a couple of days. And I was like, fuck. And that's basically what happened. It was the gnarliest, worst experience I have ever, ever gone through in my life. And I do not wish that upon anybody. And so I had a detox and I did a 30 day inpatient program. And you would have thought that that would have maybe helped or put me on the right. Nope. I stayed sober for maybe three, four months. And then I had a, a booking in LA and I went up and I did the shoot and I went down <laughs> to visit my current boyfriend who I now live with, um, who I've known since high school. Um, and I said, you know what? I think I'll have a drink. You know, it's been five months. I'm, pr- I'm good to go. I'm not, on, I'm not on the benzos anymore and ended up in the hospital here strapped to a hospital bed uh, because I decided to run around the beach naked and, uh, I don't even know what else. I just said the kind of the running joke is I guess as I was being wheeled off into the ambulance, I yelled to my now boyfriend, Shane, I hope you never get a job because he was looking for a job at the time. Now I live with him and I really hope he does have a job because he pays for half of our shit. So, right, like you have to be able to look back on that stuff and laugh. But at the time, you know, I wake up, I have no idea where I'm at. I'm strapped to the bed. I have no pants on. Like, and my mom has to come drive all the way with like three hours down and pick me up. And they give me these like shitty jeans from like the lost and found. And I'm completely like, this is my life. And that, but that was, that was like normal for me. Like it it was totally normal for me to like live in this complete cycle of shame and anxiety and self-hate. Like that was like my regular Sunday. Like maybe I was going to go to the hospital. Maybe I wasn't, but I knew I was going to wake up feeling like absolute fucking shit and like hate the decisions that I have made and I just kind of accepted like that was how I was going to live so it took me about a year after that until I finally had decided it was enough but 
the seed had been planted because I had been introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous in rehab and I had been introduced to other sober individuals. And for the first time in my life, I had met other sober people. Um, and I met people, A, who drank the way I did and who used drugs the way I did. And I, I, I saw people and I met people that I thought were fucking really cool and they didn't drink, you know, like they made drinking look stupid. They made looking drugs look dumb. And I found this group of rad people, especially I was in LA, there's celebrities that attend these meetings. Like it felt like this very exclusive club. And I was like, oh shit, like there's this, there's this, like this, this could be really rad. Like, and so I kind of had this change in, in mindset. And so it was in the back of my mind, right? And it took me about another year and I was dating another, I was dating another addict. I was dating a meth addict for uh, a while. And that too, I think really kind of gave me a taste of my own medicine. Dating this person who wouldn't show up is dating this person who said, I'm going to go outside and smoke a cigarette and would like steal my car and not come back for three days. And granted, I, I didn't do anything like that, but I got a much worse taste of what, where I was going, you know, and that really kind of shook me. And I had a really bad night and I know I've talked about this on other podcasts, but so if you've if you've heard this story, then feel free to tune out. But I just kind of had like my, my come to Jesus or come to the universe moment, right? Like I'm driving and I'm stuck in traffic and I'm coming off the drugs and I'm coming down from drinking. And I'm just so like, imagine like your worst hangover ever slash having this horrible anxiety attack and like having heat flashes and I'm stuck in the middle of fucking nowhere on the highway where there's no service. So I can't listen to music, can't text anybody. There's wildfires because I'm in California and there's always wildfires. And I'm like, okay, I, I literally can't do this anymore. Like I had broken to a hospice the night before and slept in my like dead grandma's bed and woken up. And like none of my family wanted to talk to me, obviously. And my little brother brought me my keys and was like, you should go. And I was like, okay. And I had like, that had really, like I'd burned all of my bridges. Finally, like all my family, all my friends, like totally. And I, I'm driving back to LA and I was like, all right. Like if I keep going like this, I'm either going to be dead and no one's going to care, you know, or like I can do something about this because I have, I do know that there are people like me who have recovered and who've gotten better and they claim to have this better way of life or whatever. So fuck it. Let's just do it because like, I literally cannot do this anymore. I, I would, I would rather die. Um, and so I like drove back to LA and I went to my first meeting and that was like July 22nd, 2016. And so that was really for me, the start of what has been my journey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's so many different things that I want to unpack totally and like right. one of them just being at the very end, what you were just talking about of how we like hear people that are sober saying like, this is the best way to live. And like, it feels like truly like they're claiming it, like it can't be true. How can life be better 
without drinking. Like drinking is so fun and it's what connects us and it brings people together and how can it ever get better? And it feels like it's like these like false truths that were being sold until we actually step into sobriety ourselves. Then we actually start to see it and experience it. And we don't experience it right away. And it it takes time and it's still, it's not like you get sober and you don't have any hard days. Like you, life is life and there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs, but truly removing alcohol, if it's something that isn't serving you in whatever way, you are going to have that better way of life. But it's hard to imagine that and really believe it until you experience it for yourself. Oh, completely. It, it always just felt like a bad infomercial, right? Like, what are you trying to sell me? I don't want to be part of your cult. Like, fuck you. Like, just all, all the normal things that I think all of us thought before we joined the cult. <laughs> so well, it feels like, it almost feels like someone's trying to trick you totally. because it's like, how, how could it be better? And it's scary because like you were talking about in the beginning of you used alcohol to cope with anxiety and for many of us, it's a crutch. It's a thing that we use when we're feeling stressed. We have a shitty day. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm anxious. I'm going to have a glass of wine. I don't want to go out on this wedding dance floor. I'm going to have a glass of wine. And so we like use it to cope with all these things. And the idea of having kind of our safety blanket removed, it's like, well, how is that going to make life better when I'm going to actually have to work through my emotions? I'm going to actually have to figure out other ways to handle my stress, other ways to deal with feeling anxious. And that is scary shit. But when you can actually start to find ways to work through that stuff on your own without using alcohol, it opens up so many doors for you. Yeah. And it's crazy. And I think what I tell people now, because, you know, I work in this space and I've been working in this space for the past three years, it's just alcohol will always be there. Like the liquor stores are not going anywhere, even though there's massive change going on, which is amazing. Like the, the no and low alcohol industry is booming. Like there's, there's no prohibition coming. Like you're, it's all basically, it, it will always be there. You know, like if you, for whatever reason, need to go back it, it will be there, but the opportunities and the relationships and the time that you have right now, you can't get back. And so those, those bridges that you burn and those experiences that you miss out on, whether it be your own wedding, your friends, you know, your friend's wedding, your child's birth, like, I don't, maybe not that, but (laughs) if, if you're the dude, yeah, you know, like it could, it could, I have so many friends who are blackout brides, like you can't get those things back. And so you got to think of it like that, where like, you don't have anything to lose by perfect example today, September 1st, doing sober September, taking a break for 30 days or even like 14 days. And just like allowing your body to feel what it feels like without being constantly, you know, um, consumed by this neurotoxin. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not all rainbows and butterflies, especially at the beginning, but like, once you get over that threshold, it, it's just like, I can never, I could never imagine not living this lifestyle now. And 
beforehand, it was the complete opposite. I mean, I was getting breathalyzed every time I got home from ages like 16 to like 20 before when I left for college. So it was just complete 180. Um, and this is such a better way of living, like 100%. I love what you said about letting the body feel what it feels like essentially without the alcohol, right? Just try it because if you're someone that, you know, you have your daily glass of wine or whatever, you just like, that's how you think your body's supposed to feel Mm -hmm. until you remove it. And I've had this conversation with other people that I know that have gotten sober, but they initially like kind of did it as like a month challenge. And they were like, holy shit, my workouts literally feel so different because I'm not showing up after having a few beers the night before at happy hour or whatever. And there, there's all these different things that it translates into, right? You might find that you start to have more energy. You might actually feel less anxious when you remove it. And so trying out these like 14 or 30 day challenges, which is whatever it is, is a great starting point. Even if you don't think that it's going to be something you remove forever, it's a great way to just allow yourself to reconnect with your body. Like Kayla was saying. Totally. And then I, I mean, my boyfriend does it all the time. My boyfriend's a drinker and he'll take these breaks or he'll do the thousand hours dry challenge or like sober September. And, and I, it's something I think to, I recommend to anybody, whether you have a drinking problem or not, because whether it's coffee, whether it's cigarettes, drinking, any kind of vice or, you know, like neurotoxin that you're putting in your body, like it, we, there are short and long-term negative side effects, you know, even, even coffee, like as I'm sitting here drinking, like I'm very mindful. I usually drink decaf today. I have a super busy day. So I have this cold brew, which will probably send me over the edge. Um, but that's okay. I'm drinking like half of it. Um, you know, it's about being super aware. And I think it's also about like informed consent, which is like what we were talking about with, you know, a podcast and with a thousand hours dry and with reframe the app that I work with, um, or work for, like so many people do not have the information that they need to, to be drinking in for like, I guess the way to explain it best is like informed consent, right? Like when we're, when we're eating something, right? Like we go to the, we go to the grocery store and we can look at a label, a nutrition label and look, and like, if we're allergic to gluten, we can make sure that there's no gluten in it. Um, And we are, we have been informed, you know, and we're consenting to eat this. Mm -hmm. I purchased this. I'm, I'm consenting that there's no gluten in this. So if I go back home and I'm, and there's gluten in it, I can fucking sue you, um, you know, or at least I could probably get some free shit. Um, and with alcohol, there's no informed consent. Yes. There's like a very small, you know, general's warning, which is like super outdated. Like, I think it's from like the eighties or seventies, which is like, this may cause there, this may like, it's not even cause cancer. It's like this product may put you at risk or something of cancer. Like it's very broad. It's very old. It has, it has nothing to do with the updated, like, um, American cancer society, CDC, or like, uh, the American, like dietitian, like it's all outdated information. And so how, how are people consuming like the way that they necessarily would, would, if they knew what they were consuming, like, you know, I think about 
the way that people smoke cigarettes in like the 50s and 60s, like nobody knew it gave you cancer. Nobody knew that it caused, you know, like lung cancer and tongue cancer and mouth cancer and secondhand smoke. And like people were drinking and smoking when they were pregnant, you know, nobody knew. And it wasn't because they were bad people or because they were stupid. It's because they weren't informed. And this is where Mm -hmm. informed consent comes in, where the masses, we have the right because we live in America. And if you don't live in America and you live in another country, check your rights. Like you have the right to know what you're consuming. And I don't think, and I I don't think it's just personal opinion either. I I think it's it's a general consensus that the alcohol industry has slipped under the radar and really gotten away with for a very long time marketing itself as this reward, as this magic beverage that you need to be social, that you need to relax. It's part of everything you do from your baby shower to any kind of celebration, to any kind of morning, to like to your brunch, to your dinner. Like literally, if there's not alcohol in it, who, why do it? It's like, you know, is it, is it even real if it wasn't on Instagram? Is it even real if there's no alcohol involved? Yoga? No, we have to make beer yoga. Um, and it, it's crazy to think like when you take a step back and you're like, all right, so like what's in alcohol? And you don't know because there, there's no guideline as to having an actual label on alcohol. Like it's uh, the, the regulate, the, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's regulated by like the, the tobacco and arms uh, fucking, I, I don't know why I can't think right now, but it's not regulated by the FDA. It's not regulated by um, like, anybody. So like, if you look at alcohol, there's no nutritional facts on them. So you don't actually know what you're consuming and they don't have to, like, they don't have to tell you any of that. And so like, you genuinely have no idea what you're putting in your body. And I think it's only like one in like seven Americans naturally know that alcohol causes cancer. Like they really actually, people just don't know, like, you know, everybody I think knows that it's not great for you. But there's also all of these myths out there that that people believe that like, oh, if it's if it's beer, it's it's not real alcohol. Like only only liquor is real alcohol. False, you know, or you know only you can only be an alcoholic if you drink liquor. Also false. Like, you know, we 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 live in all these falsities that are like hundred year old myths and things that people were told. Um, and there's no information out there that's pushed by like the CDC and the WHO and American Cancer Society and and all we see on television is alcohol's fun, you know, party, beach, amazing, like, you know, everywhere we go, it's sold in the movie theater at at the fucking Disneyland, like you can't go anywhere without it. Um and and so of course, like why would you buy into the fact that like it's going to give you cancer and heart disease and like the second like leading preventable death in the United States. Like that just sounds crazy. But the fact of the matter is the information is there and it's coming out. And I think we're really kind of coming along as like the second wave of like what the anti anti-tobacco movement was. I really foresee this happening with big alcohol. And I think that they know it too, because if they did, if they didn't, excuse me, like they wouldn't be, you know, 
Budweiser, like these are big names. These are billion dollar companies, you know, Budweiser and Heim Bush and Samuel Adams and Guinness, like they would not be coming out with these, you know, zero proof alcohols if they did not see that this was a necessary move. Cigarettes, there's no such thing as like a tobacco or a cigarette. What would be the point of that? That would, you have jewels, right? Like that was supposed to be this healthier version, which is probably worse for you, honestly. Um, but alcohol is lucky enough to where we can have the NA versions and they can not be bad for you. Um, and so big alcohol can still profit and pivot, but in many other ways, um, as somebody like, you know, I work for a non-alcoholic, uh, app, we help people quit and come back drinking. Um, and what, so one of the things I do a lot is I do a lot of research. Um, and it's, it's really crazy to see just in the last six months, um, all of these organizations that are um, lobbying for more, uh, for the labels, like I said, they want labels on alcohol. They want, like, why isn't the FDA, uh, you know, why doesn't the FDA have to approve alcohol? Why are, why are there not the same kind of labels on alcohol that are on cigarettes? Or, you know, why is it able to be marketed everywhere? in magazines, on TV, in the media, like it's so glamorized and you never see that for cigarettes anymore. Like I've never, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a cigarette ad. I was probably like five or something, you know, like it's very limited. It's only sold in certain places. Like they've basically publicly shamed it. They've made it a taboo. And, you know, there is something to be said about help a healthy amount of shame and I think that's really the, the direction that we're heading with alcohol. And it's going to take a while, but um, it's pretty rad. It's pretty rad to see. Um, but it that's what we're having to do. We're having to change people's mind and we're having to tell them that what they learned and what they've known for X amount of years is wrong. And that's really hard for people to digest, which is totally fine. Uh, I think for anybody, right? Like you're kind of pulling people out of the matrix and they're shocked. Um, so how do you handle that? And, uh, I, I think giving them digestible information, that's not fear-based. That's not, we're not forcing you to do anything. We're not saying you can never drink again, or that, you know, we're taking it away and it's evil. We're just letting you know, Hey, here's the facts. Why don't you read this book? Why don't you check out this article and why don't you learn about it? And then see if you want to have the same relationship with alcohol after you know all this, after you've taken the challenge. And then you can say, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've done a couple months alcohol-free and I prefer to drink. I'd be like, yo, that's rad. Good, good for you for taking those breaks. But if you're somebody who's never taken a break from drinking and since the time you started drinking until now, you've been a drinker, then I don't, I feel like you don't really have a leg to stand on when you say like, oh, that's not for me because you've never tried it. Like I've tried both. I've tried drinking, doing drugs, doing, doing a lot, of, doing a lot of things. And I've been sober and I can, and so I can say this is better for me and for a lot of people. And so like, I highly kind of challenge people that are, are unsure, or they think it's bogus or whatever, like then go 30 days. And if you can't go 30 days, then maybe there's a red flag for you right there. Like, you know, it, it it's pretty cool though, to see that, to see what's changing. There, there was a lot packed into what we just talked I know. about. I love it though. Right. It was, so, okay. Have you read Quit Like a Woman? 
I'm honestly the worst sober person. I have never read any Quitlet. And I think it's because when I got sober, like, I feel like the old person, right? Like I got sober so many years ago. Uh, uh, there was no Quitlet, you know, like I had the big book, I did AA. And then like, I didn't even have my first NA beer until I was like three point three and a half years sober because I was, I was still in that mindset of like, this could be triggering. Yep. Yeah. This could lead back to drinking. I don't know. Yeah. And I really had to unlearn a lot of stuff because I left AA after like a year and a half, two years. Cause I just didn't like, for me, like I'm atheist. I was a psychology major. Like there was a lot of things that didn't add up, but there, that was the only option for me at the time. And this was like, what, five years ago, like six years ago. Um, so, so much has changed so drastically in a short period of time, but by the time, uh, and it's so funny because like, I have all this quite life, but I haven't read any of it. Um, I don't know for me, I have this weird, uh, like, I felt like when I've started to read some of the books, like, I don't know if maybe it's triggering for me or if I just feel like, um, I don't know. I have, I honestly have no excuse, but it's like a running joke with my friends. So like, I've literally never read any Quitlet and I like started thousand hours dry and all this stuff. So probably the worst to ask that question. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's really good. And I like what you touched on was what she actually like leads into right away. She goes into, you know, the poison that we're putting into our bodies the details of like exactly what you're talking about of how we glamorized cigarette smoking. And then we finally got the information out to people that like, Hey, actually this probably isn't what you want to be putting in your body. And so a lot of the things that you were talking about, she talks about in that book and it's, it's just really eye-opening. And what I like about it is it's also very a progressive way of looking at sobriety. Um, Cause she also similar to your story, she tried AA and found that didn't work for her. So she started the Tempest, which is a modern recovery program. Um, but I, my story is very similar to you. I got sober through AA and I still work with my sponsor, but I don't go to meetings really anymore because I've just found different ways that work better for me right now that align kind of with where I'm at and my beliefs but AA was really the only option um, to get sober through and it works for many people and I, I'm a firm believer in like finding what works for you like there's no like right or wrong way to get sober if you can find what works for you like keep doing that thing and keep showing up every single day so have you seen the Netflix documentary that came out like a few years ago when it was all about, um, it was basically trying to tell everybody that they needed to be vegan. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger one? Mm, I don't know if it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was some guy, he did a documentary. And as you were listening, like, that's what I was like envisioning. I was like, someone needs to do like this documentary of like, I mean, that was a really controversial documentary on Netflix, but like one that is like more just like, Hey, here's the information that you don't have. Uh, Cause that one was like very, my understanding was it ended up being like very one-sided from the person that was delivering it. So like a non-biased, like here's the info, big alcohol, here's what you need to know, take in the content, educate yourself because I think a lot of it, and I'd love to know your take is like, it's a little bit of denial. Like a lot of, 
a lot of society is just kind of like, yeah, I don't want to hear what you're telling me. Nope. It's, it's very much, I mean, it's, it's like Carl Jung's shadow self, right? Like that was one thing Holly's talked about too. Like I'm familiar with Holly and Tempest and, um, you know, um, one of the things I, I think she talks about it in that book, but I've read some of the articles she's written and talked about, um, the shadow self. And I thought that was super helpful for people, especially in early sobriety is like this projection that happens. And I think it's not just people who are sober, right? It's all, all kinds of people. Like when you meet somebody, and I think this is for me, like too, I figured out like, oh, why do I fucking hate this person? And I've like had one conversation with them. It's because we, we meet people or we see people and they reflect to us the parts of ourselves that we do not like. And then we project onto them. And so for me, I, I realized that early on, like, I was like, why am I such an asshole to, to normies, right? Like, and for anybody who doesn't know what a normie is, it's a person who doesn't have a substance abuse disorder. Um, and I was like, you know, do I, am I, is this like my, like, you know, sober high horse? Like what's going on here? Um, do I really think I'm better than everybody? Because I was probably worse than any of them. So like, who am I to judge? Um, but there's a lot of projection that happens, I think, on both sides, like, right, from sober people to non-sober people, and from non-sober people to sober people, like, you're boring us, like, they think we're super boring, and, and Christians, and, and intense, like, rigid, rigid people, and maybe some of us are, so what, and vice versa, like, not everybody that drinks, drinks crazy, I actually know a ton of people who drink mindfully, and I don't see anything wrong with that, and that's the thing, right, like, this whole other conversation of harm reduction that I think so many people in the recovery space have completely left out of the equation. They're like, oh, we love sobriety. It's amazing. Da, da, da. Abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. But then when you talk about like, well, what about people who like aren't ready yet or who are sober curious or maybe drinking once in a while doesn't hurt them. And maybe they used to have a really bad drug problem and now they only drink, but they never had a problem with drinking. And so they're drinking like, it, are we, are we saying that their recovery doesn't matter or that their, their process is less mm -hmm. valid than ours. And I think that's an issue. Like we need to squash because like, and I like a thousand hours dry, like, like you said, I had founded it, but, um, we have a host, different people post on the page every day. Um, I really thought it was important to have a, a diverse group of people connecting because I'm just one individual. I have just one experience. Um, but Kevin, one of our hosts had posted like a meme and it was like what people think being alcohol free is or sobriety. And it was like the office guy. And it's like a picture of a black and a white photo. And then it's like what it really is. And it's like a grayscale of all of these colors between, you know, black and white and gray and 50 shades of gray. Uh, um, and that's really what it is, right? Like I'm, I look back now and I'm like, all right, well, like sober curiosity wasn't like a thing when I was getting sober, but there was like a, a year where I was sober curious, so to speak. It was in the back of my mind. It was there. Um, and like harm reduction can save lives and it can also bring people into the fold. Like part of what we do at Reframe app, which is the app that I work at, is we promote cutting back and we promote absence. So it's, we meet people where they're at. And why I think that's important is because, and, and you know this from being in AA, and as much as I love my sponsor and I think the 12 steps are amazing, like I know I needed abstinence when I needed it, but I often ask myself, like, 
could I have maybe gone sober faster if there was something more inclusive available to me? And there was something out there that wasn't telling me you're not bad enough yet. Or like, you have to identify as an alcoholic or an addict to be here. You have Mm -hmm. to surrender. Like that turned me off. And so I kept going. And so, and I meet and I talk to people all the time who are like, if I have to choose between identifying as an alcoholic or drinking, I'm just going to keep drinking. And that's a terrible option. Like, why do we want to keep sending people out? I don't care if you're not like a hobo. That doesn't mean you're not an alcoholic. You know, like if it's not serving you and alcohol is maladaptive, and if you can write down a pros and cons list and there are more cons, then it's not serving you. And there should be a place for people like that. And so really that was kind of the whole idea behind a thousand hours dry and reframe is like, we want to educate people. We want to give them daily tasks. We want to give them tools and we're educational based. And we've been working with Johns Hopkins and Emory University. We use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy tools, visualizations, um, really all the things that you would be really needing to build that sobriety or um, moderation toolkit and learning how to, like we said, cope with your feelings. Cause so many of us drink to deal with the shit that we can't or don't want to deal with. And so when you take alcohol away completely, or when you take it away and you chop like half of it away, all of that stuff is going to resurface. And mm-hmm. so you need to know how to deal with it, or you're just going to go back to your old beha- like behavioral patterns. And so what we really promote is teaching you, this is how you deal with it in a healthy way. This is movement. This is meditation. This is grounding work, mm-hmm. you know, and here's a community of other people like you who are not just trying to get sober, but also cut back or also be sober curious. And we're all here to motivate each other. So a milestone doesn't have to be a year sober. It could be, wow, I only had four drinks this week and I normally drink 15. Like that's a fucking milestone snaps. Like I am all for like promoting harm reduction. And this is on a bigger scale too. Like why are we having this opioid epidemic? It's not because all of a sudden everyone's fucking shooting heroin. People have been shooting heroin for a really long time. It's because fentanyl is now in the mix and fentanyl's in fucking everything. Mm. And so even somebody who's just trying to go do a bump of Coke, you don't really know what's in your fucking Coke. Like you, nobody knows what's in anything. And that's what's fucking killing us. But we don't have a place where you can go and get your drugs, you know, screened and checked to see if they're clean. We don't have, you know, a system in place where you can go and get clean needles. And so people are fucking dropping dead everywhere because- we just think that like, if you do drugs, you must be a fucking terrible person and a low life and have, you know, like you're just a bad person. You made these decisions. And that is so fucking false. And so I'm like, I'm like, it's funny because I'm like not a super like liberal or conservative person. Like I'm a little bit of both in, in areas, but in this, I'm very, very liberal. Like I completely like, you can't take away people's drugs, man. Like people need drugs. And it's fucked up, but it's true. Like a lot of people, that's that's how I survived for a long time. Like I needed drugs. I needed alcohol. I probably would have killed myself, but it served its purpose. And then it became a problem and then it didn't serve a purpose anymore. And I needed help. So mm. we can't, we're not, we can't just go and criminalize everything and take everything away. Like if that doesn't solve the problem, it's a, that's a, a bandaid and a fucking bad one at that. You know, that's why people make bath salts and all these crazy other drugs. Cause you take one thing away, they're going to, they're going to find something else. Like drug addicts, we're very creative people. Okay. Like, did you know that vanilla, this is, you know, I never knew, like when I went to rehab, I shit you not, I left with so much more information on how to be a better addict. 
I was like, I did not know that I could drink vanilla extract and get fucked up. I did not realize that that was like 90% alcohol. But I, I learned so much crazy addict thinking and it's just funny that way, right? Like you go to the rooms to get better, but then it's also like, if you go out, you go out way harder because you're like, I have all these crazy ideas now. So it's just this idea that like drug addiction is not going away. Alcoholism is not going away. So we got to work with what we have. We got to work with the problem and we got to think of better solutions because telling people that they're wrong and that they're bad and that they're criminals, it doesn't work. We've been doing it for the last 100 years look where it's gotten us. The problem's only worse. And to your point, right? We also don't treat alcohol the same way we treat other drugs. So like, there's all these documents on Netflix. Like you said, I get pissed off, like, and no offense to like anybody who's overcome opioid addiction. That's a big deal too, obviously. But why are there all these documents on opioid addiction when it kills like an eighth of the people that alcohol does? And nobody's talking about alcohol epidemic. Nobody's talking about like, oh, like, it's so unfortunate that this person died of liver cirrhosis, like, or like, oh, I had alcohol poisoning. No, bitch, you had alcohol overdose. Like, overdose awareness was yesterday, and I was so tempted because I've never OD'd on drugs, but I've 100%, and I appreciate Canada because Canada actually calls it that. They call it alcohol overdose, which is what alcohol poisoning is. And, like, why aren't we talking about that? Like that happens so much. And everyone's like, oh, I just had a bad night or whatever. Like, oh, give me a banana bag. Go to the, you know, I went to the emergency room. Not a big deal. It's like, no, bro, you fucking overdosed. Mm. Just the language is different, right? It's not a drug, it's alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. It's not an overdose, it's poisoning. Like food poisoning, you know? Like we have sculpted it and it is so embedded into our society and our culture. And the language around it is so like that's what really needs to be changing right like let's well, be just so casual yes that's what it is it's fucking casual and it's funny because it's not funny at all right like I never knew until I went to rehab that alcohol and benzos are the only drugs you can die from having withdrawal symptoms like I could I can be and I experienced this too because I dated somebody who did meth for a really long time and he did detox a couple times, but there was one time he detox. He just decided I'm going to detox in your room, which was horrible. Um, but actually, honestly, not as bad as I thought it would. He just slept for like four fucking days straight. Like he, he ate a shit ton of food. He drank a ton of water. He was a fucking asshole, but he just slept. And then he was kind of over it. I, on the other hand, I thought my legs were paralyzed. I hallucinated. Like I didn't have any seizures thankfully, but a lot of people do, they, they have serious withdrawal symptoms and it, and it can kill you and alcohol and benzos are the only drugs that can do that. So why, why is it that that's, what's being sold at the fucking CVS who won't sell tobacco because it's not on their brand. And we believe in, you know, we're a pharmacy and that, that whole spiel that they did a couple of years ago about we're no longer selling tobacco products because, you know, they're bad for you. And we're, you know, we're the pharmacy, we're here to help people. And, but okay, but you guys will sell alcohol. Like I could literally go pick up alcohol anywhere on my little market here. It could be delivered to me now because COVID decided it was an essential, you know, thing. So it's just really fucked up the way that it's gotten away with being what it is, you know, which is its own. It's basically like this unicorn, this untouchable thing, right? It's not a beverage. It's not a drug. It's not part of your diet because you don't really count it as your calories and there's no nutritional value, but like nobody would ever like, you know, you can, we can wear a t-shirt that says like fucking 
in Guinness or like, you know, some joke about alcohol, but like, you're not gonna like walk around that says like, haha, like I love shooting dope. Like nobody's gonna wear a shirt that says that. So, or like, I secretly store my prescription drugs, you know, like that's not cool. So like, why is it that we have this whole fucking culture of like barstool sports and the chive and like, like this, you know, total frat move or whatever, like this whole culture of like drinking is so cool. Like, yeah, I want to get so fucked up so I can punch it, punch a hole in the wall so I can be this Instagram meme. Like that's like the younger generation, like that's and our generation too, right? Like it wasn't, it's not like it's just the younger people. It's all, it's millennials. I think we, we kind of started it like this whole idea that like the more you drink, the cooler you are. If you can fucking, I mean, definitely, I guess we didn't start it. Like I think about my uncle who's sober and like the story he tells about when he was in a fraternity in the seventies. And it was even crazier back then too, because you don't have social media and you can get away with a hell of a lot more. So it's just, it's bad and it has to stop. Like people, people need to know, they deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies. Like, it's just not, I, I just think it's so unethical from so many standpoints as somebody who works in the profession of marketing and advertising. And I really don't know how people who work in that industry, like go to bed at night feeling okay about themselves because to me they are like the same as the people who worked for tobacco companies like it just makes me sick do you think that like the best way to educate people is first off obviously sharing what you know but then also I think sharing the ways that sobriety has impacted your life in a positive light because the idea of removing alcohol totally or at any point for a lot of people is like so fucking terrifying, especially if they're just like, well, I'm not blacking out. Like I just drink it when I go to happy hours or whatever, you know what I mean? And I think there's like all these people that are in like that gray area and it's still beneficial to take a look at your drinking and that relationship and what purpose it's serving you and why you're drinking. Like, is it just habitual? And like asking yourself, like, am I just doing this because it's like, that's what I do on Friday. I go to happy hour with my coworkers and I have a few drinks. It's like step back and kind of just like take a look at your routine a little bit. And for you, Kayla, like, what do you feel has, have been some like the biggest, like, ahas or like holy shit moments in your sobriety that like when we were talking about that earlier where it felt like people were like making these claims that there's no way that's what I was going to experience and then now you're here on the other side like what are those things for you that you've experienced totally so for me it was like I was just living such a like a miserable existence so I feel like you know like you said I I'm probably more of an extreme case, you know, but I think that this goes for anybody who um, is unhappy with themselves, is unhappy with their mental health, especially like just the rates of of anxiety and depression right now are so high. Um, That was like a huge factor for me that I noticed such difference, Um, you know, and it took a while, right? Like I had to detox off of all of my, all the drugs and stuff. So that stuff, I don't think pertains to the masses. So I won't go too, too into it. But once I was detoxed, once I didn't have any alcohol in my system, no drugs, 
once I was, you know, in that sense, uh, ready to start healing once I had my baseline had finally regulated, which can, it honestly, and I think this is a question people ask all the time, but like, you know, when am I going to feel better? Like, it depends, like how much were you drinking? Were you doing drugs? You know, like, were you drinking every day? How much, you know, like, and so everybody's different, but I can tell you, like, for me, when it, when I did start to feel better physically, and then I would start, I was able to start like getting back into the gym because I was an athlete my entire life. And then I just had this period of like, where I didn't go to the gym and I was so not myself anymore. And like, I went back and I got a personal trainer and it was like mortifying for me, like to not be able to do all this stuff that used to be so easy, you know, like, and really like this humbling experience of really like completely starting over in this space because my mental health was shit, my physical health. I had no friends. I was like living in a new place. And I really just was like, I need to completely build myself up from the ground. And I think for people who are new, like you can do that and it doesn't have to be so extreme. Like I noticed I stopped like the, one of the really big things for me was just like, I had this chronic discomfort and anxiety all the time. Like every day of my life, I was constantly worried about something. I was thinking about, did I say something wrong to this person? I'm overthinking. Like I, I was just never comfortable in my own skin. And so that's, I think why I really enjoyed drinking so much because even if it wasn't like a blackout night, even though I was an extreme drinker, like there were plenty of occasions where I just had four or five and I was totally fine and nothing bad happened, right? Like, but it was still the only time that I felt comfortable and completely like I could just be myself and talk and, you know, be social and yada, yada. But when I took alcohol away and I finally like, you know, hit my baseline and I had that time to rebuild, I realized I was able to start doing other things to make myself feel good. And also that my baseline was no longer this like horrible, negative, like I wake up dreading the day and, and being so negative because I think some of us like are just our natural, like I did read this really good book, the happiness hypothesis, where, you know, we do have innate character, you know, traits. Like for me, I am more pessimistic just naturally. I think I tend to look at things more negatively. And so, especially when I was drinking, you know, when I was drinking, it was a good time, but then I felt like shit the next day and it would roll over into things that I would do. And especially as we get older, right? Like our hangovers are worse. Uh, the way that alcohol affects us, it, it affects us at a deeper level. We have to drink more to have the same effects that we did, you know, than before. And there's just this bucket list of things that you have to ask yourself. You're like, is what I'm, is, am, am I even, is it even worth it? Like, you know, that, that couple hours of like, 20% more fun than I would have had if I didn't drink to feel like, like, I know I love, I, that sounds terrible, but like whenever my boyfriend's hungover, I just like give him so much shit because he's 30. And so he feels it. Those are like one to two day hangovers. And I, I never realized, and I think you had said something like this, like what it felt to like, just feel like normal, like super comfortable, no lingering. Like I still get anxiety, right? Like 
I have an anxiety disorder. So that's something I'm working on, but it's very circumstantial and it's very like specific to things. So maybe I'm having a stressful day because of work, or maybe I'm having a problem with my relationship. So I can use my tools and I can find the root of the problem and I can address it. But before I stopped drinking, it felt like there was just always something wrong and I couldn't ever find what was wrong. Like I just never felt good. I never felt comfortable unless I was drinking or I was getting ready to go drink. And then I could kind of forget about my problems. And now I don't have that. It's like that lingering discomfort has dissipated. And I'm able to just like, I never knew how much I appreciated just like waking up now on a Saturday or Sunday, completely hangover free, no anxiety, no shaking, no looking at my phone to see who I texted and, you know, being like, oh, fuck, I can't believe I, I said or did that. And just completely being able to like live in the moment. And obviously, you know, shit happens. And I say things I regret or, you know, I, I do things that I'm not proud of, but I get to be present for them and show up and then also like claim them and pivot and, and, you know, create a solution for them when I was drinking half the time I wouldn't even feel bad, not because I was an asshole, but because I genuinely didn't remember. And so how can you genuinely feel bad when you don't even remember what you did? And then you create relationship issues and just all these problems. And so for me, it was like, it was all these small things that started to add up where I was like, I'm like, like you said, I'm going to the gym and I'm feeling so good. Like, I can't remember, like, this almost feels like this is better this, this feeling that flow state that you get into when you're in like a really good spin class or like, for me, I love like a good, like Legree mega form of Pilates where I'm like, so fucking in the moment and nothing else. I'm like, that's like my meditation, like that mm-hmm. feeling. And just to be laying there at the end of class and being like, I just fucking kicked ass. Like that, that natural high is so much better than anything that I got from the pills or from the alcohol and so you find these things and it doesn't have to be exercising just for me that that's for me, what gives me flow. Cause I'm just an athlete, but for, for other people, flow can come from music. It can come from art. It can come from writing. Like it depends on what you're, what you're passionate about and what you love to do, but you find something else that brings you that, you know, dopamine. And then it's not synthetic because alcohol gives you synthetic dopamine. So sure. It makes you feel better but it's temporary. And then you're also trading it out later for like less, like what do they say that it, it dulls today's edge, but it sharpens tomorrow's. So you're trading Mm -hmm. it off. Right. And when you're doing these natural things like exercising, or like, I love doing like a good fucking Sudoku because I'm like that person now. Um, right. Like I'm just this person that I used to totally make fun of. I drink green juice. I just like got together with some of my sober girlfriends and went to soul cycle and we went to a cafe and and went to spa. And beforehand I would have been like, wow, those are fucking stuck up bitches who the fuck wakes up early to go to soul like soul cycle. And I'm like, I'm that person now. And I love it. And it was amazing. And it was so rad to be totally present feel each other's energy in the class, then go get to talk about our shit at brunch and then go relax and have a spa day. And none of us had to get drunk. We all could, you know, we connected, like these are real connections you're making with people. I feel like some, when I look back, just so many of my friendships, like I didn't even know them really on a Mm. deeper level. It was these surface friendships and surface drinking. So um, you just, 
it's this whole other deeper level experience. And that's why I love these ideas of sober September or a thousand hours dry, which is 42 days where you're just dipping your toe in the water and there's no, um, you know, nobody's going to yell at you if you slip up that we call it, we call it a fall forward at reframe. Like if you take a slip, like you don't have to start your day count over. Like this is, this is a building block, right? Like just taking a stumble doesn't mean you have to start at the fucking bottom of the hill. Like, I'm sorry, but that old school thinking is what keeps, that's what kills people. And that's what keeps people out when they go out. And so I'm very much a proponent of like, if you fall down and you don't have to fucking knock the Jenga over, like put the one Jenga back up and keep going. You know, like it doesn't make sense to me. You don't unlearn everything that you've learned when you take us, when you slip, like you ask yourself, well, what did I learn from that experience? Okay. This person is triggering to me, or this situation is triggering to me. How am I going to handle it next time? And then you learn things like visualization. And that's what we teach you at reframe. You know, how am I going to, I'm going to close my eyes and imagine going to the party tonight. I'm going to imagine being in a scenario where I want to drink and I'm going to imagine what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to call my friend. I'm going to leave early. I'm going to go to the fridge and get one of my mocktails. And when you manifest that, and when you visualize that beforehand, when you get to that scenario and that happens, instead of going into fight or flight and freaking out and going, fuck it, I'm going to drink. You've already visualized what you're going to do. You know what you need to do. And then you do what you need to do. And that's how new habits get formed. And that's like the raddest part about all of this is like, if you don't stop drinking or if you don't cut back or take that time to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol, you don't have, you're not giving yourself that experience or that chance to maybe see what it's like to, you don't, we're not even talking abstinence here, right? Like we're just talking about reevaluating your relationship with alcohol and seeing how it serves you. And like, you deserve that. Like, I think everybody mm-hmm. does because nobody deserves to be living life like day-to-day or just surviving or like looking for only the only thing you look forward to is five o'clock so you can you know pour yourself a glass of wine like that's a terrible way to live you know like nobody wants to live like that and I'm sure you've lived like that and I know I've lived like that and I can tell you that there is a better way of living and it involves none of that and now when I'm having a really bad day I'll take a fucking nap I go on a run, you know, I dive in and I I do all this like douchey shit, like meditation, you know, like you just, you, you become, you become this person that you got to give yourself a chance and be really open-minded because like, I think when you start to think you're better than something, that's when you're really fucking up. Like, so if you think you're better than sobriety or you're better than taking a break, then you're probably not like, you're probably really, really not. So I, it's kind of, I challenge people, right? Like do it and then come back and tell me, fuck you, haha. I went 30 days alcohol free and I did it. And I'm going to go back to drinking. That's great. Like I'm stoked for you. But if you can say, haha, fuck you, that's stupid. But I'm not going to do it. Then you have no ground to stand on. Like you can't kind of come at our way of life. Like we've been where you are. So we know that it's, that it's shit. And, and you kind of live in that denial, right? Like you said, and there's a, the projection and the shadow self, but I kind of, I challenge people, right? Like come check it out. If you like it, great, stay. Like we have room for everybody. And if you don't like it, the liquor store is always open. But like I said before, and I repeat it again, like that relationship that you're in that's struggling or that work situation that you're 
happen that you're really unhappy and you're fucking up because you keep coming in hungover or, you know, you have to skip a Monday because of Sunday night drinking and brunch. Like those opportunities will, you will get fired. You will get divorced. You will lose custody. Like all those things will inevitably happen, but the liquor store will always be there. So like, why not live in this moment and figure out if drinking less or not drinking is better for you? Because all of those things are going to go away. Your kids are going to grow older. Your, you know, your relationship, it, it could be there. It might not be there. Like it might need nurturing, just all these things like that are so fragile and not promised, but I can promise you like there's death, there's taxes and there's liquor stores. Like that should really be another guarantee of life. Those are not going anywhere. So don't worry about it, but do worry about all the other things that you do have to lose you know, if you don't reevaluate your relationship, kind of like a take a 30 day free trial into sobriety. And if you don't like it, totally, you can send it on back and like go back to your way of living before. But I think anybody that takes a break from drinking, whether it's someone that identifies as an alcoholic, someone that just feels like you know, I am actually feeling more anxious when I drink or more stressed, whatever it is. If you take that opportunity to just step away from alcohol for a little bit, you're going to learn a little bit more about yourself and it's going to teach you something and you're going to grow in that opportunity. And it's a way for you to just kind of reevaluate like, okay, is this something that I want to continue doing? Is it something that I want to do less of. It just helps to give you information. It's a teaching opportunity for you. You're going to learn about yourself. You're going to learn what you're capable of. And you're also going to like find out like, oh, there is so much fun to be had. And there is so much time that you get back when you're not drinking because right, like you're not waking up hungover. You're able to go to the farmer's market. You're able to go on that bike ride, whatever it is, you get all this time back. And so seeing those breaks as an opportunity and anybody can benefit from them, whether you identify as someone wanting to get sober, someone wanting to be sober, curious, anybody is going to benefit from just taking a little break from alcohol because you're going to learn so much about yourself. Yes, exactly. I love the money back. Like, I love that idea. Like free trial, like for sure. Like there no, like disclaimer, like there's no, and you know, just there's, there's nothing here. We're not trying to, to sell you anything. Like we're trying to help you because we worry you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's one thing I think, I think for sure that bugged me that I was like, why do all these strangers want to like, help me? Like, what the fuck? Like, you don't know me. You don't know my story. And that was really kind of another thing that kept me away from sobriety. And then being on the other end of it, it's like, that's literally what my life is dedicated to now. That's what I do in my free time. That's what I do for a living. That's what I did at my last job. That's why I started a thousand hours dry. That's why I work at reframe because I can't imagine doing anything else besides being of service to anybody because it's, it's a reciprocal thing. Like when you help somebody, you're helping somebody and you feel fucking great. Like, so I'm not an altruist by any means, right? Like, I don't think, I, I think many of us do good things because it makes us feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're doing good things, but you know, don't, don't knock this person and, and think, oh, like these people have these hidden agendas, right? Like 
why do they want me to get better? Like they want me to join this. It's like, dude, because I know you're suffering and I was suffering that way. And the reason I got better is because some random fucking person showed me how to do it. Some person I had no business talking to that if it wasn't for like the rooms, like I would have, I would never have talked to any of the people that I was friends with or like my sponsors or any of those kinds of people, but them giving me the opportunity and these people deciding I'm going to take time out of my life that I don't have to, to volunteer and help you fucking clean up your shit, you know, and you don't have to pay for it. We're not, these are not therapists, you know, like we're not charging a fee. Like we're just other sober people who know what you went through and through like this, like innate connection that you automatically make when you meet another sober person, it's, you just, nobody wants to see other people suffer but especially other people that, that, you know, you feel this innate kinship with. And that's kind of, I feel what the recovery sobriety, sober curious community is. It's a kinship. And so there's no hidden agenda. There's no, like you said, there, there's a 30 day trial. You could, you can, you can do a hundred day trial. Like you can go back and forth and figure it out. Like it's okay. There's no right way to do it. There's, there really is not a right way to do it. It's whatever works for you. And then the solution is whatever makes you happy and healthy. That's what the solution is. That's what recovery looks like, right? Like you're healthy, you're happy, you're in a good place with your mental health, your physical health, you're doing what's serving you. And that's to me being in recovery now, because over the past five years, my recovery has looked totally different ways. And I haven't had five years of abstinence either. Like I've told people there have been three different times that I've picked up a drink in the last five years. And I still consider myself in recovery. I still celebrate my milestones because to me, it's been an evolution of where I started and where I came from and what my relationship and to alcohol was. It was fear-based. It was necessary for survival. Then it was fear-based. Then it, then it's nothing. Now it's, you know, they say that love and hate are the opposite, but it's not, it's indifference. And now that's how I feel about alcohol. Like, could I be somebody who drinks moderately? Yeah. Do I want to? No. Like Mm. I've healed so many parts of myself. And last year when I did experiment with my mindful drinking a few times, like sure, successful research done. But what I really realized is like, I just created this lifestyle that alcohol doesn't fit into. And I'm so much happier not having it. Like even just having a couple glasses of wine, nothing bad happened. Nobody went to jail, you know, like I didn't, I didn't punch anybody, but it was fucking, it's like going back to your ex that you romanticize and then you text them and they show up and you're like, this was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Like, why did I do that? You know, that was dumb. And that's what it felt like. Like, it felt like, all right, well, that was lackluster and eating stale chips. Like it worked for me when it worked for me and then it didn't work for me anymore. Um, and it, it, it's cool to be able to just be like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not afraid of alcohol anymore but I am, I am here. And although I'm indifferent personally to it, I know that I, as that, as that person who's come this far, I I feel like I have an obligation to the community as a person who's been able to educate myself and to recover and to, and to live through everything that I should have totally not lived through that I have an obligation to spread the message and to help with informed consent and to like you said start that podcast 
get that Instagram account. If you want to start that YouTube channel, fucking do it, write a blog, do anything. I don't care how much time you have. If it's a day, that's a day more than somebody else. There's somebody who wants to know how you did it. There's somebody who wants to know how you got to one day, how you got to two days, how you got to a year. Even if you slipped, nobody fucking cares. Like only people who, who shouldn't care, care. And then you got to realize like, why do you care? Like, it's very much like, keep your side of the street clean. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. And if somebody else's fucking recovery or sobriety or whatever you want to call it bothers you, that's your problem for 100% sure. Like work on it. I have to work on it all the time, especially with my boyfriend. You know, he's exploring his relationship with alcohol. It's so hard for me not to fucking poke in and be like, hello, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. Cause that's not, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, there's no wrong way. Mm. So, I mean, well, I'm sure we could go on and on and on forever, right? Like I'm caffeinated. I love talking about it. Well, I love it. Cause you can just tell, like, I wish people could see you right now. You're just, you can tell how truly passionate you are and that you just want people to have the right information and know their options and know what's available to them and help them to feel really empowered in the choices that they're making and show that there are other options. There are different ways of life and that they are at the driver's seat. They get to control the life that they want to live and the decisions that they make. And looking at your relationship with alcohol is such a huge opportunity to live an even more fulfilled life. And that's not to say you can't have a fulfilling life with alcohol, but like let yourself be open to evaluating and looking at that relationship and seeing what you can learn by doing so. And so the the last question that I have for you is what is the ripple that you want to create? Well, I feel like I've already created it, to be honest. Like, what? And, and the way I look at it is this and like, and this is one thing like I, I completely like, I'm still kind of in shock with because I dropped out of college twice. I don't have a degree. I have a criminal background, so I can't get these huge corporate jobs. Like I've applied to, even if I have the experience, like I'm limited and I'm living in the consequences of a lot of things I've done. And that's one thing I think people do need to remember too, is that all actions have consequences. You're free to do whatever you want in the entire world, but not without consequence. And so even if you don't think you're going to pay for it now, you will pay for it at some time. My boyfriend loves to tell me there's no free lunch and he's right. There's no free lunch. So one thing that's, that was kind of hard for me when I, I moved out and I, even I, I was like two and a half years sober, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school and I was on the road. I really wanted to study consumer psychology, which is like what I'm doing now. Um, and I was just kind of exploring, right? I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good at my foundation of sobriety. Uh, I went to Virginia Tech, which was a very, which is a very good school, but I fucked that up. So I was like, all right, I'm starting, starting over because my GPA there was so bad that I could, it would not allow me to get into any more good schools until I, you know, went back to school and got my GPA up. So I really had to start over. And um, I built, right? Like I was just trying to figure out like, how do, how do I live right now, right? Like, what do I want to do? And then I created a thousand hours dry because I was like, all right, there's, there's no way for me to meet other people outside of AA that are sober or that, that have, that don't drink, right? Like they don't even have to be sober. 
non-drinkers. And I created that online community, which honestly was very just, it was super casual. It started out as a hashtag Mm. um, to do a challenge um, that I was like, yeah, like, let's do this challenge together. And I thought like 20 people were going to do it. And then like a thousand people did it. And then I was like, fuck, okay, this is like a thing. And then now it's become a thing. It's like a community, you know, and it's this ever ongoing challenge of, of people evaluating their relationship with alcohol and then getting involved. And I love watching people like there's been so many people who have come through and either taken the challenge or been a host because we have other pages too. We have like a thousand hours drive military, uh, the babes page, like all of these different chapters. And I love watching and seeing people come through and host for a while and then they'll step down. And so many of them have created their own smaller communities in their areas, or they've gone on and now they're creating a podcast and they're doing all these things and they're serving the community there in their own ways. And it's so rad to watch that. And I'm just like, they're like my children. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Um, but for a thousand hours dry, like I, I did not start a hashtag with anything in mind of like what it was going to be. I was like, all right, I'm a thousand days sober. I want to get my followers involved. And this was when I had an influencer account that's much disabled. We won't go there. Um, yeah. Cringe. I hate that word influencer, but it was my way of getting people involved in my life. And then it became so much bigger than me. And then it brought me to reframe, you know, we partnered with, with reframe and now we're literally in the middle of our second fundraising in session a and, uh, you know, TechCrunch just did two articles on us yesterday, you know, and, and I'm working. Yeah. Like it's, it's insane. Like Last year, I got to pick up a ma- I got to pick up Strong Magazine and look at the cover and see that literally Sober Curious was on the cover, and that that was an article that I got to be interviewed for, and like this this you know tangible thing, and to being and to be able to like work for now a company, like a, a livable workable job you know that's continuously growing and expanding. Um, I think we're, we're not just like a ripple effect. Like I'm, I'm a fucking tsunami. Like I'm coming for big alcohol. Like that's just how I feel about it. Like I, I want to shake things up because it, it's like beyond the time. And like it, this was due like t- fucking, you know, back when alcohol was created, but for sure now, like people are suffering. COVID happened, unemployment happened, all these deaths happened all the social injustices that have been going on for forever, but now people decided to finally, you know, see what's going on. Like the world is really fucked up. It's been fucked up, but it's like super fucked up right now. And the last thing we need to be doing is numbing ourselves out to the problem. Like if you're a person of privilege, if you're a person who's white, if you're a person who can say something and do something like you have an obligation as a human being to do something. And the last thing you need to be doing is sitting in your house and drinking because we're feeling bad for ourselves. Like, I think this is one thing that I learned when I was living overseas is just the poverty in other countries and the sickness and the culture. And like, I've lived in the middle, in the middle East where women can't show their hair or their faces or their body at all. There's no thing. There's no such thing as free speech. Or we forget that China doesn't even have internet like China well, parts of China, pretty sure. And you know, like these countries that like people are so like we, they, people think we have it so bad here and they have no idea. Like I've been to Africa and seen people who are literally starving and we throw out fucking food like 
it's not, no one's business, right? Like, oh, my fucking bread is one day old. I'm going to throw it out or I'm going to, you know, this, this tap water that it's just, it's fucking insane just how we live. And I think people really need to wake up and realize like, it's our obligation to start doing something about it. And so if you know something, you need to say something. Like if you're informed in any way about something and people, and you can tell people, then you need to be telling them. This is not for you to keep to yourself, right? So, and I just get, I get like fucking crazy about it. Like I'm, you're right. Like if you could see my face right now, like it's just, it, it's a, such a massive problem and it's bigger than all of us, right? Like big alcohol is everywhere and not just because, we've been tricked to it, but because, you know, they give tons of money to politicians. So politicians have no business. They're not trying to, you know, lose money. Why would they? So they're not like, it's so much bigger than us. And, and I get all, you know, controversy like, or whatever, uh, conspiracy theory, but it's true. Like, you know, the, the government and these huge corporations and our politicians and a lot of people benefit from people being sick from drugs, from alcohol, like the drug war is fucking not a drug war. Like that's systematically placed there for a reason. Like, so if people just would open up their eyes a little bit and realize like you can control what you can't control, whatever you have the power over to, to do today. And that like sobriety and recovery, especially is such a privilege and such a gift. And like, we're lucky to be people. And like, that's one thing, like, you know, that we are the luckiest, like Laura says, like, we are fucking so lucky mm-hmm. to be what we are now Yes, and to not be, to not be fucking shooting up anymore and not be for me, like not be cutting myself, sitting in a bathtub with my clothes on crying, you know, thinking about killing myself. Like I'm not that person anymore, but I could totally have easily ended that way. And there's so many people out there who are still suffering, who are still dying, who are and who are never going to get better. Like, it's just not systematically possible for them. They have no out because we don't live in this world where everything's fair and everybody can climb up the ladder. Like that's fucking bullshit. It's not true. Like, yeah, there are, there are people who rise to the occasion, but most likely like most of us are a product of having money or coming from money or knowing the right people, or, you know, like having the tools and the education and, uh, you know, the network and the world's not fair. And so I think it's our obligation as people who do have privilege and who do have sobriety and who do have education to try and make the world a little bit more fair for the next generation. I love it. And I love that you said, I'm not a ripple. I'm a tsunami. Like that's amazing. And I appreciate you and like sharing your education, your knowledge, your background. And the last thing is where can my listeners get connected with you? For sure. So I have a personal Instagram that you can uh, connect with me at, um, which is just Kayler Lyons. It's my name, but somebody had Kayla Lyons taken and I've messaged her about it, but she won't message me back. So I'll take Kayler. So it's just my name and you can, I'm sure you'll you'll put it in the Mm -hmm. description on Insta. Um, And then on either a thousand hours dry or the reframe app Instagram like you can catch me on any of those I answer all the dms like um yeah I mean uh I'm around like (laughs) I might not get back to you right away because I'm fucking busy right now but like I I'm I'm somebody who like I I believe in 
in the personalization of, of what we're doing. And I think, you know, I'd love to, I love to connect with people and lead them in the right direction. If you want to be somebody who's more involved in a thousand hours dry, let me know. We're always looking for hosts. If you want to be somebody and you don't know where to start and you want to build your brand, like I have a, a Zoom workshop that I can send you that I had recorded. Like I, I want to, I want this industry to be built from the ground up. So anybody who wants to be involved, like I'm fucking stoked. Let's do this. Like the, the, the universe has been generous to me. I've noticed like, like I said, holy fuck, like I'm a college dropout twice now, like with no degree and no, and a criminal background and such a shitty past. And yet I'm so privileged to be living the life that I'm living now. And I really attribute that to just genuinely wanting to be of service to people and give back and the universe giving back to me for doing that. And then realizing like, shit, when you actually do things for other people, like it, the, the world gives back to you. And it's kind of this cool reciprocity where it's like, there's no bad reason. Like, I don't care if you're doing all the good things for all the wrong reasons, you're still doing great things. So like, keep doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a fucking wild ride and I think it will continue to be, it's only going to be more pressure. It's only going to be bigger. It's only going to, like you said, like big alcohol is not going to be happy that we're coming for them. You know, there's a ton of people out there who don't believe what we're saying is true. They think it's propaganda. They think, you know, that we're like fucking intense, crazy people or whatever. But the thing is, I don't care. Like I know my truth. I know what I'm saying is true for me. I also know, like, I believe in science. So like, I believe that the science to alcohol is true. Um, and with those two things, like I feel un unstoppable in that sense where like, if I just keep saying my truth and spreading the message and doing the work that I have been, then like, there's literally nothing that could possibly stop me because I would pro I'd literally have to collapse and die to, to not want to do this, you know, like to be scared out of it or to be like over it or whatever. Like, it's just not possible. I love it. I love yeah. it. I want to encourage anyone listening, reach out to Kayla, let her know what you took away from this. Let her know what you learned and make sure that you share out this podcast with other people that you think would benefit. Leave a review. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, let's go out and start creating ripples.